Okay, good morning, Gateway family. Love hearing all the fellowship happening around the room. But if you want to make your way to your seats, it is great to see you on this beautiful fall morning that God has given to us. So thankful we get to gather together as the Lord's people and to sing his praises and study his word. Greetings to those of you in the sanctuary. Greetings to those of you in the gym and those worshiping from home still. We are so thankful that we get to be together this morning. Just a few announcements for us as we begin this morning to let you know what's happening in the life of the church. First of all, our Sunday Bible study classes, sometimes you may call it Sunday school, have resumed this morning. It was so exciting seeing so many of you back on campus for our small groups. It's not too late to join a group. So if you are not able to be on campus this morning, next Sunday, 9 a.m., we'd love to have you. We have two different classes for adults that are meeting in person right now. One is the gospel and race, and the other one is a study of 1 Corinthians, verse by verse. There'll be a third class that William Fox is overseeing that will start back on campus in about two to three more weeks. But we have the two in-person classes right now. For our youth, they're going through Psalm 23, and for our kids, they're going through the Gospel Project, focusing on the life of Christ right now. So there's something for the whole family. We'd love for you guys to come Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. There's a community opportunity coming up in two weeks called Awaken. Many of you have participated in these in past years. It's a community-wide prayer and worship gathering that historically has been at Riverwalk Stadium. This year, it's in two weeks. On Sunday, November 1st at 6 p.m. at Fraser Church. There's a chance for the body of Christ of Montgomery to come together to pray for our city. And so, hope you'll be part of it. If you have questions, CJ can tell you more about it. And you'll be getting some more information from us in the next week or so on that. Over the last two weeks, you've heard us talking about our elder nomination process. As a congregational church, you guys are tasked with seeking the will of God to identify the men who God is calling to be elders here at Gateway. I just want to remind you that process is ongoing right now. We're now receiving nominations for elders. All of our members should have received a letter in the mail this week as well as an email with those details. If you need a nomination ballot or need an extra one, there's some in the back of the room here. There's some in the hallway outside the office. And please feel free to get those. If you have them completed, you can drop them in the offering box here in the gym building. Give it to a staff member. We're happy to go ahead and receive those. You have one week to get those in. The deadline is next Sunday to get in the elder nominations. Next, I want to introduce some new members for you guys. So, Ward family, come on up here. This has been fun. This is our third week in a row we get to introduce new members that God is bringing in the life of our church. And we're so thankful what God is doing. So, come on up here, guys, and face the front. It's not a scary group here. They're actually really all friendly to look at, aren't they? So, we want to introduce the, the Ward family to you. They've been around Montgomery quite a number of years and just have such a heart for ministry and the local church. This is Reed and Rayanne, and so, and then their daughter, Trinity. They're all coming for membership, and their other children are standing here with them. Elijah, who's 16, Zach, who's 13, and Aaron, who is 11. And so we're so thankful to have them. They're already plugging into small groups, already plugging into ministry here in the body. And so thankful in the providence of God, he has brought the Ward family to Gateway. So let's give them a round of applause and welcome them to Gateway. Thanks, guys. Now, we know we have a number of you who are visitors who've been coming to Gateway for a short time here. We just want to invite you, if you'd like to learn more about membership here at Gateway, talk to me about it. We normally would do a Discover Gateway lunch at our house and cram a bunch of people in for a shared meal together. And we're not doing that during COVID right now. But if you'd like to come over to my house and have a meal with my family and I and talk about Gateway, we'd love to do that and get to hear your story. So if you'd like to learn more about Gateway, just find me after the service. Or if you're watching online, feel free to email us. We'd love to talk to you more about membership and just the covenant of membership, how we walk together in faith to encourage one another to pursue Christ. I'd be happy to talk to you more about that. Well, as we prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord this morning, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read from Scripture this morning from the book of Revelation. As we prepare to sing, we're going to sing this morning about Christ being the Lamb of God. And I just want to remind us of the beautiful picture that's painted for us in Revelation of Christ as the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing to the one who is worthy of all praise this morning. Savior, lift it. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Father, we gather this morning to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. May the eyes of our hearts this morning see the wonder and the beauty of our May the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shine brightly in our hearts to see his glory. And may the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Reveal to us this morning our sin and grant us grace and repentance and the joy of knowing your mercy and love as we look to you. Lord, this morning we bring to you requests, the needs of this church. First, we pray that you would give our family, this family, this body, wisdom and discernment as we seek you during this elder process. We pray that you would show this body who are the men that should help shepherd and care for the spiritual needs of this local church. We pray that these men who are chosen would be men who love your word and men who are spirit-filled. I also pray this morning, Lord, for those in our congregation, our community, who are sick and recovering from COVID. We pray, Lord, that you would heal their bodies. We pray, Lord, that during this time of suffering, that you would draw them closer to yourself. Lord, you, in your wisdom and in your providence, Lord, you allow us at times to go through difficult times. And we just ask, God, that you would use this in the lives of our brothers and sisters to strengthen their faith. Father, we also want to pray for our nation. We ask that you would be merciful to us. We pray for our congressmen and senators and all those in authority. That you would govern and lead well, that they would govern and lead well during this pandemic and the times of uncertainty. Lord, we realize that you're sovereign over all the nations. They are but dust in your hand. We just pray that during this time that we would put our hope and confidence in you and you alone. Father, we also want to pray for Pastor Mark and his ministry in Haiti. We pray for the ministry that he has, the church there, and the churches that he's discipling. We pray that you would give him grace as he encourages the believers and the churches under his care. Lord, we ask that you would allow him to see much spiritual fruit in those churches, that many would come to faith. We also, this morning, think of the unreached peoples. And this morning, Lord, we pray for the Shabak of Iraq, who live in the region of Nineveh. Father, they are in darkness and are desperately need, desperately need of the light of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would send workers into this field and allow a great harvest to be reaped among those people. Maybe in this church there are children that you would raise up to send to that part of the just pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Iraq who have suffered tremendously. Encourage them and give them an open door to share the gospel with their neighbors. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect and keep them. Father, we are grateful this morning that we can gather to sing your praises. Grateful to hear your word read and proclaimed. And as Pastor Grady comes to preach your truth, I ask, Lord, that you would give him grace to communicate 
your truths to our hearts and that this morning you would give us listening ears. May your word give life to those who are dead in their sins. May your spirit draw us to yourself with reverence and confidence. And may our affections and our desires for you abound more and more. Lord, we praise and bless you this morning and give you all the glory. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, good morning again, Gateway family. I want you to find James chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word this morning. James chapter 4. Now, just... To remind you, we paused our study of James the last two weeks to talk about the important issue in the life of our church, and that's the issue of elder elections. And like I mentioned in the announcement time, as a congregational church, you, the members, have been tasked to seek the will of God, to find the men that God is calling to serve as elders here, as the shepherds, as the pastoral team here at church, the men who are not just called, but the men who are gifted to serve in this way, and the men who are qualified. And so over the last two weeks, we saw two very important texts. We saw 1 Peter chapter 5, which lays out for us the responsibility of elders to shepherd the body. And we saw what that looked like. Then we saw last week, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications for being an elder. And those are really foundational to the process. Those texts are very important in shaping where we as a church go in the years to come. So I want to encourage our members, if you missed either of those weeks with travels, if you would, please go back and listen to those as you pray and seek the Lord for elder nomination. Those are really important for where we're headed as a church, those are available on our website, gatewaybaptist.com slash messages. Now this morning, though, we get to return to our study of James. This is an amazing book that we've spent more than 30 weeks in so far. We've been looking at this book that was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Just to remind you, he's writing to Jewish background Christians. He's writing to these early churches that were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were struggling. They were scattered. So he's writing to these believers who were from, struggling from a Jewish background to encourage them and to point them to Christ, in particular to help them walk in faith. If you want a theme of the whole book, it's walking in faith. It's how we live out what we claim to believe as followers of Christ. As so, it's one of the most practical books in the Bible. James tackles so many life issues. He's talked to us about our speech. He's talked to us, even what you saw just a few weeks ago in our speech, of how we speak about one another. He talks about anger. He talks about how we view trials. He talks about how we view money and wealth and so much more. Today we come near the end of chapter 4. We have one more week in chapter 4 next week. And today we come to the topic of planning. Talk about getting very practical. James talks about how we should view planning ahead. How we should view the future as we make plans. Now the reality, friends, is all of us make plans. Now some of you make more plans than others, but regardless of whether you make a lot of plans or some plans, we all make plans to various degrees. So the question that we've been looking at James is how does our faith shape these practical areas of our life? So this morning we come to the question of how does our faith in Christ change how we make plans? How does our faith in Christ change how we make plans? Have you ever stopped to consider that before? How faith in Christ should shape, should direct how we view the future and how we do planning for the future. It's easy not to consider that. It's easy to just do whatever we've done our whole life in regards to planning or different degrees of that. It's easy to do whatever we learned in school in a leadership or class we might have taken. It's easy to do just whatever our company's kind of tell us to do, but how should our faith change how we think about the future and how we make plans? The answer is for us in our text this morning, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, so I want you to be looking for that as we read. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we get to hold before our eyes the God's very words for us. The words will also be on the screen, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. 
Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, he ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your unchanging word. God, we're so thankful that you are a God who does not hide yourself from us, but reveals yourself to us. And Lord, I pray this morning we would treasure the fact that you've spoken to us and you've put it in writing right before us, and that you would open our eyes this morning to the truth of your word, that you would shape and shape our worldview and change how we think about the future and how we make plans, that we might grow in godliness even this day, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. <clears throat> so before I answer the question I ask of how should our faith shape how we make plans, I want to ask you one more question. As you think about your life, have you ever made plans without thinking about God and his will? You ever made some decisions without thinking about God and his will? I know I have as well. It can be things that are perhaps not of a ton of consequence in our mind. What our weekend plans are going to be or what trip we're going to take or not take. They can be more long-term things. A possible move, a possible career choice or a career change or even where to live in Montgomery. It can even be ministry opportunities of saying, oh no, I'm not going to serve in that way or yes, I'm going to serve in that way. It's easy for us to make decisions without thinking about God or thinking about his will. And that's a real danger for us, and James knows it's a real danger, and so he warns us about it. If you want a term for it, the term I would use for it when we make decisions, whether small or big, without thinking about God and his will, is self-sufficiency. It's sinful self-sufficiency. That seems to be what James has in mind here. When we act like we're in control of our own destiny, we make decisions without thinking about God. We make our decisions, whether short-term or long-term, to satisfy our wills and our desires and our wants without thinking about God's will. It's decisions we're making to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible without pausing to think, what would God have me do in this situation? It's sinful self-sufficiency. And James gives us an example of it here in verse 13. So go back to our first verse of our text for this morning. James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now the, notice the person here has four emphatic statements of what they're going to do. They're saying, we're going to go somewhere, we're going to spend this amount of time there, we're going to trade, and we're going to make profit. They're very confident. There's no, we're hoping to do this, but this is what is going to certainly happen. Now, they're not doing anything out of the ordinary. They're making very normal plans, very normal decisions like you and I would have to make. They're deciding when they will go, today or tomorrow. They're deciding where they're going to go. We're going to go to this town. They're deciding how long they're going to stay. They're going to stay there for a year. They're deciding what they would do there. We're going to trade. That just means we're going to do business so they decide the outcome. We are going to certainly make a profit. And most of our decisions fall under things like that. When we're going somewhere, where we're going, how long we're going to be somewhere, what we're going to do, and what the outcome is going to be. So it's a normal type decisions they're making, but this person that James highlights here is very presumptuous. They're certain of what is going to happen. They're confident they can chart their own destiny. This is a self-made person who is determined of what's to come and knows they can work hard and knows they can succeed at it. And if we're honest, this is the type of person our culture celebrates. The self-made person who has determined what will happen, how they're going to get there. Now, this temptation is a, is, a, is a temptation for all of us here. And James knows that. Notice verse 13. He says, come now you who say. He keeps this very broad. Remember, he's writing to believers. The you here are not non-believers. He's writing to the church, to these scattered churches, to you, believers. There are believers who act like this and say these type things. 
Now, why does he stay so, stay, stay so general here and not specific? You notice he leaves it very vague. He can almost be frustrated for us. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town. Why doesn't he give us more specific? Because he's trying to help us see this applies to any of us in any situation. You could almost fill in the blanks with decisions you have to make for this week. When you're going to do something, where you need to go, how long you plan to be there, and how you plan to see your goals fulfilled, the outcomes. So it's general to help us see this is a temptation I face and that you face as well. One of the authors I was reading this week on this text says something really convicting, and I want to share it with you. He said, so pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God. Now, let me just stop there before I move on. So pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God. If you look at the non-believing world around us, we have a culture that thinks they can live their life without regards to God. They think that they are okay. They're arrogantly independent of God. The mindset of we don't need God. We are self-made men and women who can chart our own course and do, we, do what we want to do. Friends, we live immersed in a culture with that mindset. Because when so pervasive is our culture's arrogant independence of God, that even many Christians attend church, marry, choose their vocation, have children, buy and sell their homes, expand their portfolios, and numbly ride the currents of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. Do you catch that? Many Christians, because we're in this culture's arrogance independent of God, many Christians attend church, marry, choose their vocation, have children, buy and sell homes, expand their portfolios, and numbly ride the current of culture without substantial reference to the will of God. He says, more Christians never seriously pray about God's will regarding their vocation, their family direction, or even their entertainment than Christians who actually seek God's will. Because that's really convicting. How much are we making decisions? How much are we making plans for the future that affect our family and ourselves and where we live and what we do and what we fill our minds with? All these things without thinking at all about the will of God. And because it's so norm, normal in our culture, it's so pervasive, it doesn't seem like a problem to us so often. And so James tries to wake us up that when we make decisions, we make plans without thoughts of the will of God, it's a serious thing. It's not something minor, it's serious. So look at how he describes this approach to life in verse 16. As it is, you, remember he's writing to Christians here, you Christians, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Friends, when we act in self-sufficient ways, when we make plans for the future without regarding the will of God. He's saying you are being arrogant. You're being proud. You're being arrogant in regards to God. You're acting like I don't need you, God. You're basically saying I can live my life without God. I can chart my own course, make my own plans, shape my own future. I am self-sufficient. I am not needy. In that mindset, you can look at what he says about this, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your hands. All such boasting is what? What's the next word? is evil. Friends, we need to let that sink in because it's so normal to just make decisions without having to think at all about the will of God. But when we do that, we're not walking in faith. So the first main idea this morning, I normally give you a main idea at the beginning, so I'm messing up this morning. I'm giving you the main idea halfway through the sermon day. Here's the first of two main ideas I want you to see in this text that we've been building to. It's simply this. Making plans without regard to God and his will is sin. Making plans for the future, what we want to happen to us and to our family, to our portfolios, to where we're going to go, where we're going to live, what we're going to do. If we make plans for the future and we're not doing so in regard to God and his will, James reminds us that is a sin. It's not a small thing. It's a serious thing. And James is really bold in laying this out for us because his goal is conviction of sin. His goal is transformation, his heart change. James is not just trying to beat us up here. He's trying to help us see what walking in faith looks like. And walking in faith affects how we approach the future, how we think about the future, and how we make plans 
for the future. But one thing I love about this particular text here is James does not just say, stop doing it. Stop being proud. James shows us in these verses how we can have a worldview change. James shows us what to do when we're tempted to make decisions without regard to God and his will. When we're struggling to make decisions without, God, without regard to God and his will, he shows us how to change our mindset. So how do we walk in faith? How do we make plans for the future that avoids this temptation? So that's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Yes, there's two main ideas this morning. Because the second thing I want you to see that will impact the rest of the sermon is this. As we make plans, we need to remember both our frailty and God's sovereignty. If, you want, if we want the antidote to our pride, the antidote to us struggling when we make decisions for the future, this is the answer for us. As we make plans, we need to remember two things. Something about us, our frailty, our weakness, our neediness. But also we need to remember God's sovereignty, his bigness, his power, and how in control he is. And notice in this, we are still to make plans. We are still to be planning for the future. It's not wrong to do that, but we need to have a certain worldview as we do so. As we make plans, we need to remember both our frailty and God's sovereignty. Now let's unpack that this morning here. First of all, I want you to notice that we should be making plans. The answer to our struggle with pride, the answer to our self-sufficiency, is not to give up trying to make plans. The answer is not some fatalistic view of, well, God's in control, I'm just going to let happen whatever happens, I'm not going to try. That's not what this verse is calling us to do. The answer to this is not some type of passivity of, I'll just sit by and wait on life to come. We're still called to plan for the future. Go to verse number 15 here. 15 is probably the key verse of this text here, because in it, it shows us what our attitude and mindset, what our worldview should be. In verse 15, it says, instead, so what should our mindset be? It said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So notice it doesn't just say, if the Lord wills, whatever. It says, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. There's still an element of planning in this, that it's okay to plan, it's okay to be thinking ahead to the future. You see examples all throughout Scripture of Jesus making plans for how his ministry goes. You see Paul making plans of where he's going. It's good to plan. Proverbs commends hard work and planning. Scripture is not calling us to be passive. It's calling us to still plan and to plan with the right mindset. So this applies to any plans you make. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So if the Lord wills, we will plan to move there. If the Lord wills, we will set aside that day to help that person. If the Lord wills, we'll go on that trip. If the Lord wills, I'll take that job change. If the Lord wills, I'll decline that job change. If the Lord wills, we'll send our kids to that school. If the Lord wills, we'll move to that neighborhood. If the Lord wills, I'll serve in this way in the church. This can apply to just about any situation you face as you're planning. Friends, it is good for us to plan. Can I even suggest that us being able to plan is just a small part of what it means to be made in the image of God? Think about us, the humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. We're made in the image of God, and there's so much of that. But God is a God who plans. He's planned the beginning. He's planned the end. He's declared the end. He's planned what's going to happen every step of the way. There are no accidents in God's world. God is a God who plans and is sovereign over all things. And when he made us in his image, he made us as people able to plan as well. And so the problem is not planning. The problem is sin comes in and hijacks that planning and we plan without regards to him or his will. So how do we plan for the future in such a way, how do we make decisions that affect the future in such a way that avoids that sinful self-sufficiency? Well, I mentioned the idea there's two things we need to remember, one about us and one about God. The first thing we have to remember as we plan is our own frailty, our own weakness. Look at num verse number 14 here. He says, Yet 
you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Friends, despite our best efforts to know what will happen, despite our speculation, despite our projections, despite our plans, we do not know the future. We don't even know tomorrow. We don't even know this afternoon. And if we need a reminder of that, just turn on the weather forecasters, right? These people who have the best training around and all this amazing technology, and they can't even the weather forecast right. That's why in our men's hiking trip a week ago, we got torrentially drenched in hurricane rains. It was supposed to be a fairly dry trip, and we got a very interesting experience backpacking in a hurricane. The forecasters missed it even for that day. Friends, we can't even know where it's going to rain or not rain or snow or not snow. We can't get right sunny clouds, sunny day versus cloudy day. With all the technology and knowledge we have, we can't even know the, the weather for this afternoon. How much more can we know what's going to happen in our decisions that affect the future and these things? We are not all knowing. Only God is. We cannot see all time equally vividly like God can. God is outside of time, so we can see past, present, and future all equally vividly. And so to avoid the danger of self-sufficiency and that sinful mindset, we need to remind ourselves of the frailty of our own knowledge. I can't tell you what's going to happen an hour from now, and you can't either. None of us knows the future, and we need to remind ourselves of how limited we are. But there's a related reality we need to remind ourselves of, and it's one we don't like to think about. And that is we're so frail, we may, may not even be alive tomorrow. So we are so frail, we may not even be alive tomorrow. All of our best laid plans may not happen because we may not wake up tomorrow morning. Our culture doesn't like to think about this, but yet the scripture keeps reminding us of how short and fragile life is. Look at verse 14 again. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. For those of you who are early morning people, like to go on those morning jogs, I see out in the neighborhood at six in the morning, or you go to the gym early, or go to work early, and you are leaving in the morning this time of year, and everything's got this mist and this fog over it, and it's all so hazy. And then you get to work, and next thing you look out the window, and it's like this. It's a clear day, and all the mist is gone. That's one of the images Scripture uses. It's how brief and fleeting our life is. And there's other images that Scripture uses as well to keep putting before us that our lives are so short, so brief, so frail. In fact, we're not even guaranteed life tomorrow, and James points out, go back to verse 15, the right perspective again. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, and notice before he even says what we're going to do, we will live. The very first thing he holds up is, if the Lord wills, we will live. Before I can even get to, am I going to do this or that, I have to go back to, is the Lord even going to give me life for tomorrow? We only have today, friends, because God has willed it. And we're only going to have tomorrow if God in his grace wills it to us as well. We are that dependent, that frail, yet so often we lose that perspective. So often we begin to live our lives if this is all there is, and we lose sight of eternity, and we make decisions that if what's best for me here and now, and we're not thinking about what God wants, we're thinking about what I want because of my lack of focus on eternity. And so the correct view of planning still plans, still tries to make wise plans for the future, but remembers our frailty. Remembers that every day is a gift from God. Remembers that we don't know the future. And remembers that we may not even be alive for tomorrow. That's the right view of ourselves. But as we plan for the future, again, it's a good thing to plan. We also need a right view of God. And we need to remember not only our frailty, but we need to contrast that. We need to remember God's sovereignty. We need to remember God's sovereignty. By sovereignty, we mean the right to rule. So you think in terms of politics, to, if a nation is sovereign, that means they can determine what happens in their nation. Speak of the sovereignty of a nation to do that. In Scripture, so speak of the sovereignty of a nation. Sovereignty means God's choice to do whatever he wants to do. 
and the power to do it. So when we say God is sovereign, we mean God gets to choose what God wants to do. And because he's all-powerful, that means God can do whatever he wants to do. That means God can always do, God always will do his will. It means no one can stop his will. So the correct perspective on planning reminds ourselves that God has the right to rule over our plans. That God has the right to rule over our plans. That he is sovereign, so we submit our plans to his will. You may be thinking, I don't see the word sovereignty in here. Well, it's in here, just not with that word, but the idea is here. Go back to verse 15, and notice again this very first phrase here. There's so much packed into these four little words here at the beginning of verse 15. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Now think about those terms here. The word Lord is the word in the scripture that reminds us that he is our master, our boss, the one that we have to submit our lives to. And so we think of Christ as our Lord, that means that we're not going to God demanding that he serve us. We go to God seeking to serve him. We don't go to God saying, God, here's my plans. You make them all happen because you have to do it. We're the one who is under him. He is the Lord. So we go to him saying, God, what are your plans? Now, how do I align my plans to your plans? So that's the word Lord. But also it says, if the Lord wills, that means that God has a plan. He has a will. He has a purpose. He has a plan for how he wants our lives to be ordered according to his word. So our master, our boss, has a plan for all of creation, has a plan for his glory to be shown, has a plan for how our lives fit into that story. And so as we take our plans and think about the future, it needs to be under the big picture here of if the Lord wills. And don't miss that very important word at the very beginning of that phrase, if. little tiny word, so easy to skip over. There's so much in that little word right there. Because the right attitude towards the future does not presume upon God. The right attitude for the future is not, God, here are my plans, and you better make them happen. There's popular teachings on prayer today that says God is up in heaven waiting on our orders of how he's to ordain his universe, and that's not how we see it in Scripture. God is a sovereign one, and we're the people under him, and so our mindset should be, if the Lord wills, we go to God wanting God to direct us because my will can be sinful. My will can be wrong. I'm so short-sighted. I don't know what the weather's going to do tomorrow much less today, how can I say in 10 years, God, this is what needs to happen? And so we go to God saying, God, this is what I think, but if the Lord wills, God, you know best. You see outside of time. And so James tells us that our minds should be if the Lord wills here. Now, there's a clarification on this because he says here, instead, you ought to say. Now, there's well many people who take that and make this almost into some type of magical incantation. You just say, Lord willing, after every sentence, you say that you need to get focused on saying this particular thing. But James is not focused so much on our speech. He's worried about our hearts. We've seen it before, and I'm not going to show it this morning, but you think of Luke 6.45. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason why James says you should say this is because he's trying to drive home what our heart attitude should be. We can say, Lord willing, after every statement and not mean it. Just so we can end every prayer in Jesus' name and have absolutely no wonder at the fact of what we're saying, that we get to approach the Father because of what Christ has done. The point here is not that we need to recite these words every time we say, hey, I'm going to go eat lunch after the service, Lord willing. We don't have to necessarily put that into every sentence there. I'm going to go to sleep in 30 minutes, Lord willing. Like, it's not a, this incantation, but it's to reflect a speech that comes from a heart attitude that gets our frailty and gets the sovereignty of God. The point here is our heart, that as we make plans, that our heart remembers, I am so weak and so frail and so limited, and God is so powerful and so big and so sovereign, I want my will to conform to his will. Thus, our speech occasionally comes out with phrases like, Lord willing, and if the Lord wills, because our heart is already there. So friends, how does that change things? If we remember our frailty and we remember God's sovereignty as we're making plans for the future, how does that change things? 
Let me give you three practical ways I believe our planning is different if we remember how weak we are and how sovereign and big God is. When I remember that I don't know the future, when I remember that I may not be alive tomorrow, when I remember that God has a perfect will and God knows the future and God is a Lord of all things, remember my frailty and God's sovereignty. I think three things happen as we plan. Number one, it makes us thankful. Our planning becomes thankful if we remember our frailty and God's sovereignty because we realize that we weren't even promised today and yet God his grace has given us today. And if we think about what we want to happen this week or next year or even five years from now, we think, man, if God gives me this week or this month or this year or these next five years, what a grace gift that will be. I don't deserve it. And so our planning becomes thankful because we realize every day we have is a grace gift from God. It also makes us really thankful knowing how short our lives are, that if God chooses to end our lives before those plans happen, something even better than our plans awaits us. I love how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It's such an amazing text. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, as we make plans for the future, not all of our plans may happen. God may redirect them, but God may call us home before we see our plans realized. But if that's the case, our death is gain. What we get in eternity is so much greater than whatever those plans are we were imagining now. But yet, in the meantime, we need to be living for Christ that he's given us today as a grace gift. He's given us this week as a grace gift to steward for his purpose, <coughs> excuse me, for his purposes, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So our planning becomes full of thankfulness when we remember our frailty in God's summary. Number two, it leads us to study scripture. We remember how frail we are and how sovereign God is. We think about needing to plan, whether it's that next trip or where we're going to live or how we're going to educate our kids or where we're going to go or what we should do with our careers or on and on we could go. Those decisions should lead us to study Scripture. Whereas the reality is God is sovereign and he will hold us accountable for our lives, including how we make decisions, including how we plan. That means we have to know his will because we will be held accountable. Did our decisions align with God's will? Did our decisions align with what God has led us to do? So where has God revealed his will to us? Scripture and the Bible. Here in God's word, we see what an eternal focused life looks like. We see what happens when God's priorities align our lives. We see what God wants us to live for. I love how the psalmist reminds us, Psalm 119 169. It's one of the psalms we looked at last year. We were working through about six months in the psalms. I love this. He says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to what? According to your word. Next verse in verse 170. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to what? Your word. And one more verse, 171. That my lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. This is his word again. Friends, we desperately need God to change our thinking, and we desperately need God's word to be what shapes how we plan. The problem is, I think it's all too common in my life and your life, that when we have a big decision to make, when we're struggling with something, we want to open up this verse and go, okay, God, show me something, show me something, and we try to find that magical one verse that's going to answer our question of where we should go and what we should do. The reality, though, is we should not be trying to find that one verse to answer our question, and usually it's a verse out of context. What we should be doing is day by day by day by day be immersing ourselves in the Scripture so that we know the will of God, so we know what God's priorities are, so we know that what living for eternity looks like. So when those decisions come that have to be made, we're not going trying to find that one magical verse to answer it and find some mystical moment of what God's will is. If we've immersed ourselves in the scripture, when that decision comes, we know the big picture of what God's will is and what God's priorities are. And he gives much grace in that moment to help us think how he would have us think. 
And so we go to the scripture, not just in the moment we're trying to make a decision. We go to the scripture day by day by day so we understand the will of God, so we're ready for all those decisions when those decisions are put before us. So we remember our, our frailty and remember God's sovereignty. It helps us be thankful as we plan. It drives us to study scripture, not just in the moment of decision, but all along the way. And number three, it leads us to be prayerful. <coughs> Excuse me, it leads us to be prayerful. If we realize that we need God's will, not our own, if we realize that God knows everything, not us, that God sees the end from the beginning, then we realize we desperately need his wisdom. Not just to say, God, here's my plan, make it happen, but to go to God saying, God, this is my best effort at planning, but you see everything clearly. God, direct me, redirect me, close doors, open doors, change my affections and my desires, align my heart with your heart. That's really what we saw back in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, just remember back to that sermon some almost 25 weeks ago or so, that we all lack wisdom. We all need God's wisdom. None of us has the wisdom we need. If any of you, and that's all of us, lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him go to God in prayer. Why? Because God gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to him. And so we realize our frailty in God's sovereignty, it leads us, friends, to be prayerful and to go to God, submitting our desires, our needs, our plans to him, trusting him to redirect us. So friends, as we make our plans, we need to remember both our frailty and God's sovereignty. As we do so, it'll help us be thankful and scriptural and prayerful. So I want to ask you two things this morning. First of all, think back past to what's already happened in your life. What decisions in our lives show that we're surrendered to God's will? What decisions have we already made by the grace of God that show that we're surrendered to God's will? Have you ever made a decision and it was different than what you thought you were going to make? It's different because God redirected you in his providence. Perhaps you had to make a decision that your friends did not understand, a decision that's incredibly countercultural, a decision that's the exact opposite of making your life safe and easy and comfortable, but you made those decisions because God was directing you in that way. Because what are the decisions that you've made that shows that we are surrendered to God's will? Perhaps I could ask another way. What decisions have we made that only make sense in light of knowing God? What are the decisions that you've had to make yourself or as a couple or as a family? And that decision would not make sense to the world around you. What decisions have you had to make that only make sense because you know God and his will looks so different than the way the world's will is? So think about past, but I also want you to think about present because we all are currently making different decisions in different ways. Friends, what decisions are you currently having to make? What decisions are you currently having to make? A potential move, potential job, some parenting issue, some ministry opportunity, some relationship issue or challenge you're facing, you're having to make a decision even this week. And friends, as you make that decision this week, the question for all of us is, are we going to chart our own course? Are we going to, with thankfulness, dig into Scripture to find the mind of God, to be prayerful and to seek God's will? So friends, what decisions in the past show that we're surrendered to the will of God? And what decisions do we need to make now? And how will us walking in faith shape those? And I pray for you and for me this week that God's grace will remind us of how frail and weak we are, but that won't lead us to, to feel despondent or sad or overwhelmed. It'll lead us to run back to the sovereignty of God, to trust him and to let it be the corrective we need to find the joy we need to walk in faith this week and even in our planning and our decision making. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are so sovereign. God, to realize that you are outside of time, that you know what's going to happen to each one of us in 10 minutes, at the end of today, over the next week, and even 10 years from now, God, that there's nothing that escapes your notice. And Lord, what hope there is for us in that. God, we thank you that you are ruling and reigning and that you are so 
good. And Lord, we're thankful that you're all-powerful, that nothing that you desire to happen can be thwarted because you are so big and so sovereign and so powerful. And Lord, you anchor us in that even this week, Lord, as we have decisions to make related to work or school or home or relationships. Lord, you know the myriad of decisions that await us this week. And God, I pray that we wouldn't feel the weight of that this week, trying to rely on our own strength to solve these things or to make these plans. But God, I pray this week we would find great joy in laying our plans bare before you and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And so, Lord, would you so fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you so let us be a people of the book, a people of your word, that we pursue your will hard on the days where we don't have a ton of big decisions to make, and on the days we do, that we would still be a people who run hard after your word because we want to know you, our creator. We want to understand your heart and your priorities and your will and what your kingdom going forth looks like. And so, God, would you make us a people who love your word this week? God, would you also make us a people who are prayerful this week? And I pray you would just remind us all throughout the days that, Lord, we lack the wisdom we need. We lack the insight we need. Lord, we lack the long-term perspective we need to be able to make wise choices. But, God, you promise to give us wisdom when we ask. So we pray as your Holy Spirit dwells within us this week, Lord, that we would not be a people who just try to chart our own course and rely on our own wisdom and our own strength. But we'd be a people this week, Lord, who run to you in prayer and seek your face. Lord, as we do that, I pray we'd be open to let you redirect us things that perhaps we've held on to, thinking this is how I want my life to be, that we just lay those in open arms before you, saying, Lord, take, have your way. And I pray we find great joy watching you sanctify our desires and our plans this week for your glory and for our joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together this morning?
Thank you. 